Welcome to Bonus Features, the portion of Secret Handshake where we talk to writers, directors, actors, academics, critics, and flat-out film freaks about the movies they love so that we can get a deeper perspective. I'm your host, Jacob Knight, and joining me this week is Brian Sauer. You probably know Brian from uh, one of his many podcasts, as he's the podcast master, frankly. He co-hosts the New Beverly's Pure Cinema podcast with Elric Kane. He hosts the Just the Discs podcast and runs their YouTube channel. He also uh, runs the Rupert Pupkin Speaks blog, where you can find numerous film recommendations from everyone from film programmers to film critics to, you know, actors, directors. It's kind of like this show. Frankly, sometimes I feel like we're ripping him off a bit. He's interviewed Quentin Tarantino. He's interviewed Joe Dante. He's appeared at film fests. The guy is a man about town. So we thought there would be nobody better to bring onto the show so that he could give five recommendations for this week's action film showcase since Hard Target was the movie of the week. And let me tell you, he came up with five doozies. So without further ado, here's Brian Sauer giving us five recommendations to pair with Hard Target. You know, we watched Hard Target this week, uh, and you watched it. I for did. The first time in what? You year? know what? It's It's been a while. It's been a while because, and, and this occurred to me when I was watching it, because you had said like face melter or something like that. And I was like, huh. I remember liking it. I remember it being fun, but I was, and I'm watching the regular theatrical cut. So I know there's more to it and I haven't even seen that, but watching the theatrical cut, I was like, holy shit, this movie is nuts. And I forgot how nuts I was thinking. I must've been watching a lot of crazy action movies around the time I saw it because how did, how did I let this slide away in such a way that I haven't watched it for 10 or 15 years? It's so good. I loved it. Yeah, I think what it's a strange thing to kind of to get into, but I I think what almost made it feel like minor, I guess, American John Woo for the longest time, because I was kind of in the same boat even growing up. Like I was like, oh, this is cool. I love it because it's a Jean-Claude Van Damme movie and I'm into this guy, John Woo. But like, you know, then you see face off and you're like, holy shit, there's that. (laughs) I (sighs) would. I know a lot of people go hard for like Broken Arrow, um, which it's I don't right. like as much as okay. this one. I mean, but revisiting it, it's just you can't believe that Universal put it out. They were it's just mind like, yeah. blowing. <laughs> it's mind blowing that it's a studio release in again the theatrical cut. Obviously, there are various cuts, but what's out there is crazy, crazy. Yeah. I, I I had so much fun though. I'm so glad you suggested this because it probably would have been another 10 years before I watched it again because I had filed it away in some stupid, you know, uh, niche that is totally unfair to the movie. So I owe you one. Well, and that's why you're here, the master of movie recommendations. Uh, what I asked you to make five picks. Yes. That you thought would pair well. I kind of stole your own format from you from like the even the the Rupert Pupkin days to where you would bring people on and have them like throw out five recommendations so turn the tables on you what (laughs) did you want to start off with okay well i i think i said this to you in my first email i the first one that came to me may be obvious to some but i think there will still be people who haven't seen it and that's uh david a Pryor's deadly prey was my first You, I saw you log that on Letterboxd, and I really, really was hoping that you were going to bring that movie up because yeah. oh, yes. we go through uh, on the the regular episodes of the show. We we end every episode with, does this movie qualify as a certified face melter? And we're like, <laughs> we're like six in, and we're only one for six thus far in terms oh, of wow. it. This is the only one. Hard Target was the only one we we like looked at each other. And we're like, fuck this. Like this is it. This is the thing that we're looking for. And Deadly Prey totally fits that bill. It melts, you know, it melts the face. They can't believe it exists. It's crazy, man. It's crazy. And it's funny because you can see kind of the influences there. You can see the Rambo. You can see some other things. But then it's just off the reservation, man. It's doing its own thing. And it is happy to do it. And it's in its own universe. And I had, again, a blast. I hadn't, 
I got this Blu-ray. It was a slasher video release from uh, a while back, and I had watched it when it came out, but I hadn't watched that either for a while, and I was just like, oh, man. All I remember is if you're going to, you know, sell the movie to somebody, you'd be like, okay, well, small spoiler, he cuts he cuts off a guy's arm and beats him with it, and that <laughs> should be enough to get anybody in, but there's so much more going on in this movie, so much other crazy stuff, you know? Yeah, the cut-off jean shorts. Shorts, are, maybe. Yeah, it's where it's... Uh, <laughs> That's the thing I remember them. I th- and I think that's probably what most people remember most about this movie is the it's one of the quintessential kind of mom and pop video store films because it just had that fucking box with the shirtless guy screaming and the machine gun. And you're just like, what is this? <laughs> and, and that's it's been a while since I watched it. I think I watched it on Blu-ray. Well, I got the same Blu-ray that you were just describing. Um, but that's. David A. Pryor? Yeah, David A. Pryor. Yeah. The man who brought us Killer Workout and Sledgehammer, which I still think is one of the best, one of my favorite shot on video horror movies, and also completely out of its mind. So he's he's definitely in that vein of making out of their mind movies, you know? Yeah, he's one of the great, almost like backyard DIY filmmakers. Like a guy who, you he never had budgets. Like you even said, like you just brought up, brought up Sledgehammer. Sledgehammer is not the first shot on video movie, but it's the first shot on video slasher. Isn't this like, the second I, one almost? It's because early. It's definitely early. So yeah. like Sledgehammer is nuts. Yeah, like, it's crazy. And I rewatched that recently too, and I was just like, what? I I like I remembered it, but I didn't remember again how crazy it was. And yeah. Going back to this Blu-ray, one thing that's nice about it, or not nice if you're a videophile and you're a freak like me, um, I think they used a, like a tape master to, to make the Blu-ray. So sometimes you'll say, oh, this looks too good. But thankfully, this Blu-ray still has that sort of tape quality, but like looks the best a tape can look. So that's kind of cool about Deadly Plays uh, Blu-ray. Didn't they say that was the only elements that existed, I think? It was I think so. I don't know if you watched um, Vinegar Syndrome's L.A. Wars disc recently. I did, dude. That movie is awesome. Yeah, it, that one's nuts. Also fits into kind of that that same almost DIY lo-fi like face melter status that uh, Deadly Prey has. But that has a similar presentation to where it gives you basically like a tape on Blu-ray, which I thought was interesting and also unusual for Vinegar Syndrome just because they restore to such like a pristine level. Yeah. Um, so it was neat to see them just be like, well, these are the elements we had to work with and fuck it. <laughs> yeah, no, and th- I'm so glad they did because, you know, honestly, L.A. Wars wouldn't be a terrible pairing with Hard Target either. L.A. Wars yeah. is a blast, so. Yeah, it fits squarely into all those old, I don't know if you watched, well, you're a Wingshauser fan, so like you, of course, have probably watched these, but the old PM Entertainment titles um, that like Joe Mayer, he made like in the early 90s and stuff that were just basically straight to tape, like schlocky action things. Did you ever watch any of those? I've seen a few of them, but the most one recent one I've seen is uh, Deadly Force, which I think was not a straight-to-tape. That's, like, more classy for Wings. Before. That was before PM. Oh, that was before the PM like, stuff? Right yeah. You know what? I bet I haven't seen as much of the PM stuff, so I need to check out some of that. Yeah, the, the there's a run of PM Entertainment movies. Um, they were all made for, like, $250,000, $350,000, but they brought Wings Hauser in to basically be like one of their in-house writer-directors, and he went on a tear of like, I want to say four movies. Oh, shit. Um, but there's one called The Art of Dying. Oh, Elric loves this movie. That's yeah. I got to see this one. It's one where uh, Wings Hauser plays an unhinged detective, go figure, who <laughs> uh, hunts... Uh, snuff porn filmmakers. Yes. In the film, basically, and it's it's utterly deranged. Like I gotta see it. There's a sex scene where Wings like pours milk all over himself at one point. Like you just <laughs> you can't. He's so fucked. Like he's so drunk in the movie. <laughs> all right, but it's great because yeah, like yeah. they flip. Would they they would spend every dollar of those like three hundred and fifty thousand dollar budgets to like flip cars and put the like throw people through windows and it all looks like somebody could die at any second <laughs> kind of yeah. 
Right. <laughs> Absolutely, man. No, I mean, it looks like there are definitely a couple stunts in this where it looks like somebody probably got hurt, you yeah. know, but. But also, I love that Ted Pryor, who's the star, is what his brother or something like that. Yes, I think. I believe so. Yeah, and and he's he's really like trying to do his best, like Sly Stallone, Rambo-y kind of whatever, and it's pretty fun, man. I, I just I like I said, I forgot how fun, you know. And Cameron Mitchell's in it too, and I love it when he slums yeah. it and does these low budget actioners, you know. Yeah, and he did quite a few of them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh. There, to bring it back to Hard Target, uh, and then we'll move on to your next pick, who do you think has better hair? <laughs> Jean-Claude Van Damme or the star of Deadly Prey? I got to give it to Jean-Claude, man. I really yeah. do. I mean, he's just... Th- that he can pull off that mullet and kick so much ass. I mean, you know, Ted Pryor kicks a lot of ass in Deadly Prey, but... Jean-Claude kicks more ass in our target with a bigger mullet. And so I got to give him the points for that. Do you think Jean-Claude could pull off the jean shorts though? Probably, but that's a tough call. Actually, that is a tough call. Cause yeah. he does. Ted Pryor does really rock those, those jean shorts in yeah. a way almost to, to the top of cinema for me. Like, I don't know of another actor that really could own them like he does in deadly prey. Yeah, like you could totally see him wearing it to the barbecue after he machine guns an entire like 30 man death squad. Totally. (laughs) So what's number two? Number two. Okay, so I'm going for a little deeper cut here. This one doesn't have a home video release. but There's a decent rip on YouTube, which I rewatched. This is kind of I went in, you know, starting out just to give my headspace. I was like, okay. Hard target. It's like, you know, that most dangerous game kind of paradigm. We're going to talk about hunting human beings. And then I watched Hard Target. I'm like, okay, well, that's actually just a small part. I mean, it's part of the movie, but there's a lot more ass kicking that happens before that. So I have some pairings that play more into the uh, hunting humans part and then some that play into just crazy action part. This is a more of a hunting humans part part, uh, kind of pairing. This one's called Open Season. It's from 1974. I saw this one again on your letterboxed and honestly, I don't, I don't, I've never seen this one go. Yeah. I need to hear more. Yeah. I haven't, I discovered this one a few years back. I probably put it on a discoveries list, I think. Um, and it's got a killer cast and that's the part that'll hook you first. So basically you have three Vietnam vets played by Peter Fonda, John Philip Law and Richard Lynch. So you got that trio, which is pretty killer trio, right? So the movie opens and it's like suburbia, barbecues and shit. And then, you know, you, you hear, um, oh, and William Holden's in it, but that's sort of like a background thing. Um, but so you hear like these guys just like having their, you know, barbecues and then they, you find out they're going on a hunting trip. And then you start to see like little hints that they're maybe a little bit creepy, you know, like just some things that they're saying. You're like, I don't know about these guys. And the idea is that they, and I don't want to give away too much, but I kind of got to hook people with it. Mm-hmm. They, they basically find strangers and kidnap them and then hunt them. And they've done this, you find out, for multiple years, and and it's pretty fucked up, you know? And they're, like I said, they're, they're all so charismatic. All those actors are so great. And this is actually the most charismatic Richard Lynch has, like, maybe ever been. He's wow. he's a villain, but he's part of this troupe. Um but they're just great together. So so the setup is they go to this cabin in this remote area. They find a couple that happens to be – I don't know. if they, they seem to be able to ID them at a gas station as a couple that looks to be having an extramarital affair. And so that they think, okay, these guys won't want too much attention. They, they just seem right for the profile. And what's fucked up is they kidnap them and then they kind of make them their slaves for a little while. Like – make us breakfast, you know, and yeah. like hang out with us. And then eventually we're going to hunt you. And then there's like kind of a turn <laughs> towards the end, um, which I won't give away, but that's kind of the setup, right? So it's got that, you know, hard target kind of hunting people kind of thing. And it's lesser seen. And I feel like, you know, hard target has a great cast too. So that's another reason to hook it, you know, with this. Yeah. It sounds kind of like surviving the game in a weird way. Like very much like the early scenes where they bring iced tea out and they'd like have a whole meal with him and everything. And it's like, they set that up now. Yeah, this, the weird like slave part, <laughs> like, 
I'm I'm interested to see this movie now because it sounds e- like even more of a possible like class examination because that's the one thing that I like about Hard Target is they they get into this idea that like these homeless vets are on the streets and part of the reason that they are able to be hunted is because like New Orleans, New Orleans is so run down and there's like a police strike and shit yeah. and it brings that weird like kind of class commentary to it where this with like kidnapping strangers and making them your slaves and then oh yeah by the way we're gonna hunt you like yeah. That's kind of fucked up because I'm assuming these guys are all rich dudes, right? Well, I mean, the thing is, it's they're it's hard to tell what they're. I mean, they're definitely like upper. It seems upper middle class in terms of the suburban lifestyle you see at the front. Okay. Um, so they're not like super rich, but there is definitely some kind of class examination, and it may be a little different than even you think from the outset. But it's mm-hmm. definitely there, and that's definitely part of it. You know, um, this is also directed by um. Peter Collinson, who I want to say he's Australian, but don't quote me on that. Um, he could be British, but he also did uh, he did a really good movie. I don't know if you've seen this one called Tomorrow Never Comes. No. With okay, it's got Oliver Reed and Susan George and Raymond Burr and Stephen McCaddy and Donald Pleasance and Paul Cos. Actually, this cast is fucking great. I forgot about this. Um, it's different. I couldn't quite pair it with that, but it's like. Also badass. I won't go into that movie, but I'll recommend it to you personally because I think you dig it. It's called Tomorrow Never Comes from 1978. Um, I think this guy's British because he also did some other – God, I thought he did this Animal Attacks movie that I like. But the one that stands out is one called Fright that he did with Susan George. Oh, is that the one where Susan George is the babysitter? Exactly right. That's it. I've seen that one. That one's kind of fucked up and – really creepy actually. yeah it's 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 okay it's not a great movie but it's but yeah that is fucked up so he definitely has and the same thing goes for tomorrow never comes also fucked up so he's definitely working in a psychological territory that's very interesting i think um okay. oh Br- british film director it looks like he's also oh. known for directing the original italian job for what that's worth oh wow that's huh it's like all of these kind of deeper cuts and then he's oh yeah by the way the italian job exactly pretty, pretty well known yeah uh, but uh, before we get to the next one, have you ever seen a movie, uh, to bring it back kind of to the class type stuff, called Rituals? With yeah, Hell man. Hulk Fucking and- love. That's a big one for us on Pure Cinema. Elric's a huge fan, and I actually have, just because I want to show you, I have the fucking Blu-ray right here. Yeah. I just happen to have it on my desk right here. I love that movie. Yeah, it's that's a weird one because it's like, I just was talking to uh, Simon Abrams. Oh, nice like Ebert and stuff and like he had just seen rituals for the first time and was totally like holy shit this might actually be better than deliverance like it's insane you can make a case i think i mean i love them both and i think they're both great in different ways and obviously rituals is certainly doesn't exist if if deliverance doesn't exist but rituals is pretty badass and there's almost i mean it's more horror than deliverance and so that i love about it you know i mean it's 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 a really cool movie yeah Plus, it's like, I don't want to pit them together. You only make your children knife fight on holidays. You know. It's Good like, point. Good call. What's number three? Okay, so we're going to go a little more conventional here. Um, and a little tribute to the man himself, as I believe he passed away earlier this year. A little Rutger Hauer love. Um, we're going to go Blind Fury from 1989. Oh, man. This movie's great. Dude, and I again, I'd forgotten. I forgot that... Um, Terry O'Quinn. Again, we got Vietnam vets in this, which wasn't deliberate, but I forgot that. And he's also billed as Terrence O'Quinn, which I always think is really funny because I'm just like, fucking call him Terry. It's Terry. Come on. <laughs> um, but so, yeah. So like Rutger Hauer and Terry O'Quinn are Vietnam vet buddies. But I totally forgot about the very beginning in Vietnam when he they have sort of a, the setup of how he gets he becomes blind and how he trains to be this crazy samurai that's, you know, amazing. Um, so I forgot, in rewatching it, I remembered, this is what I remembered. I remembered there was stuff with the kid that I didn't like as much, and I still don't love it, um, mm-hmm. but it's okay. But I also forgot that um, Rick Overton and Nick Cassavetes are two of the, like, the bumbling thugs, and that Randall Tex Cobb is, like, one of the main thugs with his cigar chomp. Like, look like he, he just came out of Raising Arizona, got off the yeah. bike, and that, you know, um, oh, what's the name of the guy? Um, 
oh, I can't remember. This dude always, I remember him from um, Good Morning Vietnam. He's like the commanding officer. Oh, um, I know who you're talking about. Noble Willingham. Noble Willingham's his name. So it's like he came out of Raising Arizona. Noble Willingham is like this um, gangster adjacent mobster type in Vegas who owes a bunch of money and needs Terry Quinn, who's like a chemist, to make a whole bunch of drugs for him. I totally forgot all about this shit. And so he kidnapped, he tries to kidnap his family, and his wife is also played by Meg Foster, which I also forgot. Um, and so then it just becomes this like road movie for a minute with uh, Rudger Hauer's character and the kid, and and then it sort of is like this whole revenge thing. But what I like about it and what I really demand from my action movies is that they pepper the action through it, right? We don't have too many dry stretches. Sure. And this movie opens with that training sequence. And then we have a great sequence in a bar like Cantina where these dudes are trying to mess with him. And he just like sort of, you know, Buster Keaton like fumbles around and beats the crap out of him with his cane without even, he's got a cane that he pulls out into a samurai sword, which is so killer, but he doesn't even have to take it out in the beginning scene. And then once he starts taking it out, he starts ripping people up and it's, it's a lot of fun. It's a tongue in cheek movie. Uh, but, but I, I really had a good time rewatching it, you know? Yeah, that's a weird one that's like, again, kind of like a video store classic to where I remember the the uh, tape art and like there was like a whole generation in the early 90s who saw that movie. And now because does it is there a disc for that? Yeah, there's a um, I, I the one I have is a triple feature from Mill Creek that's got um, White Line Fever and Silent Fury. Or no, Silent Rage, excuse me, uh, Chuck Norris. So you have a great triple. Um, Wait, the weird Chuck Norris kind of horror sci-fi. Yes, movie? my favorite one. I love. That's actually one of my favorite Chuck Norris movies because it is that horror hybrid. I really like Silent Rage a lot. Yeah, it's a good one. That's a strange. That's a total like we had the rights to these movies and kind of have a theme to group them together pack right there. Totally. Yeah, it's a, it's a loose theme, especially when you include White Line Fever, which I love but which doesn't quite fit the bonkers of Blind Fury and Silent Rage, right? I'm like, I'll take it, right? But I'll take a a separate White Line Fever Blu-ray too, please. Thank you. That's fine. Yeah, 100%. What's number... We're number four now? Yeah, four. four. Okay, number four. So we did our Blind Fury. Now we're going to go a little more classic. And again, with the... um, The Blind Fury is a little bit more of the, um, you know, crazy action slash underdog slash you know a hero that you underrate which is what lance heinrichson does with uh with john claude and hard target he just underrates how deadly and crazy and awesome this guy is and that's what happens in blind fury so that was part of the pairing there for this i'm going back to the most deadly you know deadliest game most dangerous game kind of thing i'm gonna go the naked prey from 1965 cornell wild oh wow we're gonna go way back so yeah. have, you, have you seen this one? Are you a fan of this? Yes, because this okay. was a Criterion release, correct? That is correct. Yeah, it's got a, it just got a Blu-ray upgrade recently, actually. Yeah, that's a good one. But again, that's one that, like, if you really want to show the roots of this type, uh, this almost like story archetype, Yeah. like, that, this is something that you show to people. Totally. It's like, you know, Most Dangerous Game, you've got Joel McRae in, like, 30s. And I feel like they've probably done it a few times since then to 1965, but this is definitely one step along the way before we get to the the 80s and 90s where it's coming up multiple times but yeah this one's pretty cool and pretty dark really because it's like he he plays a guy who's like a sort of a safari guide who's with this totally racist asshole who's just set up at the beginning is just a total dick and a piece of shit really and and sort of cornell wilde he also produced and directed the film so it's kind of a an all-star game for him. Um, and he looks fucking great too. I, I want to say he's like 57 and he's yeah. mostly shirtless in this movie. And the dude looks like, I ain't going to look this good at 57. I can tell you right now, you know, which is too bad, but it is, yeah. it is what it is. And Burt Lancaster in the swimmer that you look at them and you're just like, what the fuck? <laughs> so a hundred percent. Exactly. Right. Absolutely. Those guys, I don't even know, but so that's really cool. But basically um, this guy's an asshole He's hunting elephants for sport. Uh, he wants to get ivory. He's just a piece of shit. And right. they've hired some natives, I guess, to help them. And there's one point when 
they go through a certain native territory and the uh, tribe that they're dealing with wants some sort of respect paid, you know, some kind of little token. And this guy's such an asshole that he's like, nope, I'm not giving them shit. And and Cornell Wilde's like, dude, this is not a good idea. And sure enough, they fuck this guy up. And they really fuck him up because eventually they come after him and they capture the entire party and they do shit like, I mean, for a movie from 1965, this is pretty violent. They do, I mean, pretty fucked up. They do shit like um, one ritual involves tying your hands behind your back uh, on a piece of wood and um, and you, you're run down by the local children who then stab you to death. That's, <laughs> that's what, and then there's another guy that they literally cake in uh, clay mud and yeah. bake him like a fucking, um, you know, pot. You know, he just gets roasted alive in this <laughs> ceramic cocoon. It's it's horrible. That's um, the part that I honestly remember the most from that movie. Because oh, is that right? It like my worst nightmares. So we were just like, oh, my God. Talk oh, about to die. Terrible. I'm so claustrophobic, and that would absolutely be the worst. Um, and then for – I mean, I'm going to give away just a little bit. Like the, the piece of shit – they tie his hand behind his hands behind his back and they throw him into the this little ring or whatever with an angry cobra, which just continually bites him in the face until he's yeah. dead. And Another then my ultimate nightmares. Oh, dude, it's the worst. And then because Cornell Wilde, they, they sort of see him as somebody who wasn't quite as much of a shit. They're like, OK, dude, we'll give you, I guess, sort of a sporting chance. And they do a thing where they um, they give him sort of a head start and they let him run. And then they sort of staggered. Uh, they will chase after him. One guy will go, and then they give a certain amount of time, and another guy will go. And then they're just, and then the rest of the movie is a giant fucking chase. They're just chasing him through the um, plains of, I guess, Africa or wherever they are. And it's just a survival um, battle between him and these really badass uh, tribesmen. And you know, there's a point where I'm rooting for him, but I'm almost not. I think mean, it's a tough thing, you know, but. But it's but it's a really um, captivating movie because it's mostly silent. There's almost no dialogue once you get into the chase stuff. Um, and there's a lot of sort of great scenic photography. And for 1965, I would imagine that the audiences were probably pretty blown away just by the travelogue of it, you know. But yeah. it's a it's a great action piece, too, for 1965 as well. So. This might be a strange comparison, but I always wondered if Mel Gibson was a huge fan of that movie, especially with Apocalypto. Dude, he's got to be. There's no way that if you watch The Naked Prey and you watch Apocalypto that you don't draw a line between the two. I just cannot see a world where he hasn't seen and been influenced by this movie. I think that's 100% on the mark. Absolutely. Yeah, it's just there's huge silence. Because I remember that was the second one where they were like, well, Gibson's making another movie in a dead language. That's weird. <laughs> But this one, at least, like, you watched it, and you're like, oh, like, it doesn't matter because there's just no dialogue in, like, half the movie. It's just be people being chased. Yeah, and my friend, I remember I've said this before, but my friend of mine called me or texted me at the time, and he was like, dude, Apocalypto is like Predator. And I was like, oh, yeah, there's a little Predator in there, kind of, you know, in terms of some yeah. of the jungle shit. And I was like, that's a good sell for somebody that wouldn't normally watch Apocalypto. If you're a Predator fan, you might check out Apocalypto because I think that's there, you know? Yeah. I don't know if Mel's a Predator fan or not, but he should be if he's not. It's like right around the same time that he was getting big with Lethal Weapon and stuff, too. So I wonder if those guys all like watched each other's movies and were just like, oh, yeah, like there's what the competition's doing. Arnold's totally. in the <laughs> <laughs> Oh, dude, you know, that totally makes me think, you know, one more obvious choice. This is just sort of an extra is Commando is is a pretty great pairing with Hard Target, too. I fucking love oh, yeah commando it's a little more obvious like i said but in terms of the crazy action of it you know and i feel like he cuts a guy's arm off in that movie too but i could be oh 100 and that's oh, yes. one the one man army sequence at the end where he yes. just worms the island he like yeah because there's that crazy scene where he basically throws open a shed and starts throwing just random tools at yes. cuts a doom's arm off with a machete throws like saw blades and other guys like yes. like death frisbees and you're like oh like, this just got weird yeah but, like, um i guess that you 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 bring up you know this kind of older film that we just you know said is like the template for this type of storytelling what's your favorite like if you were to pick one most dangerous game style movie 
Like, do you have one or like? I mean, it's tough now because Hard Target's kind of blocking out everything else. Like, Hard Target is just so goddamn good. Like, I, I, like I said, I underrated it, and I'm fully willing to admit when I underrate a movie, and I come in and I'm just like, fuck, that was just a great experience and badass and crazy. And I, and again, I can't believe a studio released it. So I think for me, it's probably close between this movie, The Naked Prey and hard target i put those two close but i'd probably give hard target the edge in terms of you know just a fun fucking watch yeah Yeah. i gotta give it there i gotta put it there where did you see the hunt this year i did and i like that movie Uh, i I thought that was interesting you know especially the turn of the you know political um you know where i land politically and where the movie places certain characters politically and it kind of turns the tables on you. And I'm like, you know, okay, I'm willing to laugh at myself in a way and understand another point of view and still enjoy a really badass action movie. So I appreciated it quite a bit. I thought it was pretty well done. Yeah, and what's it? Betty Gilpin's pretty fucking crazy in that movie. She's like, badass. Like, that was the one where I was like, all right, it's worth it just for her. Yeah, <laughs> no, she is. I, I mean, my wife and I were really heavy into Nurse Jackie for a while, and she's like obviously a big part of that. So seeing her go from that role to this, I was just like, oh, man, she's something else, man. She's something else. Yeah. So what's your last one? Where are we going? Okay. Well, we're going to go again, more classic 80s action here. Uh, I would go Death Wish, Death Wish 3, which I love. It's probably my favorite Death Wish movie, but I'm going to push it a little bit. I'm going to go Death Wish 4, The Crackdown, because that movie, I think, is a little more, um, I mean, they're both crazy action, so either one could work. <laughs> But I was like, here's an opportunity for me to revisit Death Wish 4, which I hadn't seen in years. And I really enjoyed my rewatch of Death Wish 4. I got to say, it has a certain economy to it that even Death Wish 3 doesn't have in that it sets up um, Paul Kersey in the beginning and his new girlfriend at the time, played by Kay Lenz, who I love. She's great. She's also in White Line Fever, so we'll tie it back to that silly connection. But... So she's got a daughter and we meet her and her daughter within the first 15 minutes. The daughter is overdosed on cocaine and we have the catalyst for the movie for him to go after the the drug scene in L.A. And so that alone is pretty great because 15 minutes is not a lot of time to be given to care about a character. But it's like just enough where I'm like, okay, I just met this girl. I do feel bad and I do get why Bronson's motivated. So, okay. But also you didn't stretch it out so long that I had to wait a real long time for him to kick ass. Um, also the movie cleverly opens with a dream sequence of Paul Kersey, like saving this woman from like this horrible assault of the, these nylon covered, um, dudes in a parking garage. And then he has like an empire strikes back moment where he kills the last guy and he rolls him over and it's his own face. And he's like, Oh shit. And he wakes up. So like it starts with action 15 minutes. Then we have the death of the girl and then he's back into it. And then you have this fucking crazy blonde mustache, John P Ryan as this rich guy. Who's like, dude, I'm going to give you any arms you want. I just want you to take out these drug Lords. And so then you're like, well, that's a fucking great setup. And, and it just kind of flows from there, and it's kind of like Kill Bill. Like, Kersey's, like, working through a list of people in this organization, and it's pretty physical considering he's, like, 66 at this point. Uh, it has a great, nice climactic shootout at a roller rink and an arcade. So I just thought it worked, you know, and it's classic Bronson, one of my favorite action dudes from way back, so. It's, it's crazy how the Death Wish series, like... I'm not going to sit here and say like started as like some kind of prestige series because like you still have Michael Winner uh, <laughs> directing it, but it's, it's still like, pretty prestigious for him though. If you think yeah. about it. And then, you know, with death wish two, you, you go through, cause that's what the first one's Warner brothers, right? Um, and, first one but might be paramount slash MGM. And then, and then on, it goes to Canon almost yeah. the, the majority of a decade later. Yeah. And just have the grossest exploitation movie ever. And then it that's 
Death Wish 3 at least got cartoonish, and that's where Death Wish 4 kind of jumps off from. It's not as unpleasant as, like... Because that's the weird thing, is that there's a there's a break in unpleasantness in that series from, like, 2 to 3 that, thank God, 4 is more like. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm with you. Like, 2 is, is actually... As much as I like the idea of East Coast, West Coast, you know, New York for the first one and L.A. for the second one, and certainly some badass killings like... You know, and and good lines like "You believe in Jesus? Well, you're gonna meet him." You know, in Death Wish 2. Uh, but then, yeah, that rape scene is just the, the multiple rape scenes are just too gnarly in Death Wish 2 for me to really consider it something I like. And then Death Wish 3, like you say, just totally takes off and becomes crazy. And Death Wish 4 is more of the same. So I just think Death Wish 3, I love it, and it just got a really great new Blu-ray from Scorpion, by the way, which I picked up, and I haven't even got a chance to watch the new transfer but it's one of my favorite movies like ever um but death wish 4 is one again i hadn't watched in a while and i was like this really held up and gives me more of what i like from the death wish 3 mold you know yeah to take it in a weird bronson direction where he's hunting but not necessarily humans have you ever seen white buffalo that is a weird one dude yes (laughs) that is definitely that's like his only animal attacks ish kind of but Still weirder than a normal Animal Attacks movie kind of movie. Yeah, it's like the Razorback of John of Charles Bronson movies. Where exactly. Like I can't I can't believe this is real. <laughs> I know. It's a blast, dude. No, that's a really good one. That's a really good one. Yeah, but Death Wish Four at least comes in that weird, also that weird era to where it, it felt like because is that Jay Lee Thompson? It is. And they I, did a lot together. Yeah, because they did. A real, I had just watched this for the first time a couple months ago, real scummy Bronson one called The Evil That Men Do, where he goes down and fights like a dictator and kind of like a, a, a South, I want to say a South American country, but that one gets into like real weird political stuff and a lot of gnarly like torture, rape type things to where you're like, Bronson must have had like a, a, a uh, stomach of steel. <laughs> stuff (laughs) no that's one i don't think i've seen fully and i actually might i think i might have the blu-ray i feel like kino maybe put that out or something oh no no wait a minute i might be thinking of rider on the rain that's the one i haven't seen but i haven't seen evil that men do either so there's a couple bronzes i'm missing you know yeah rider on the rain is one of the uh euro ones ah yes kino just put out because they put out that i mixed them up because i watched them all like back to back to back because they did Farewell Friend, which was the one with Elaine Delone, I want to say. Where oh, they, yeah. I haven't watched that one either. Yeah. They're like in the Legionnaires together. And oh, they crazy. Come and pull like a bank job. But it becomes almost like like a what do they call that in TV? Bottle episode. Oh, gotcha. About they have this strange plan to where that they stay overnight in this bank vault together <laughs> have to evade like the security but it's basically just becomes this hangout movie oh crazy that's with him and elaine delone and they're just kind of ribbing on each other and stuff and you're and i like put it on being like oh i thought this was an action movie not like this two-hour character like <laughs> almost comedy with these two stars. and like bronson's really young it's apparently i was reading about it afterwards it's like the one of the big leaps forward because uh, I always mess saying his name up, but Elaine Delone essentially requested him. And oh, said, interesting. With this guy. Um, and that became one of his big jumping off points in his career to become like a huge movie star is because he made the, this string of Euro movies. One in France, Rider on the Rain is the, oh man, that's the one where he plays like Avenger for the one woman that, I can't, I'm, I'm blanking on her name, but because there's that one and then there's the Anthony Perkins one that's real weird that they put out. Yeah, Elric loves that one too. And I'm blanking on what it's called right now. Uh, I'm going to have to look it up. But that one I, sounds really interesting to me too. I need to see that one. Yeah, because it's like, oh, I wish I could remember too what the heck it was called. But like, it's this weird movie where Anthony Perkins is almost like a doctor yes. uh, doing this um test or like experiment on uh charles bronson who's this guy with amnesia to where he's essentially (laughs) 
convincing Bronson that he killed his wife the entire time, like brainwashing him over and over again. Uh, but it's a real, I would say check it out because you would really like it because it's a, it's a strange type of performance from Bronson to where you don't get to see him do that often where he's like really vulnerable. Like he's just this confused lost guy who like Perkins is just like playing mind games with the entire time. And it's all done in this like really opulent, uh, beachside house, um, that they're all staying in that almost looks like it, it like a set from an old um oh, what's what's the spanish exploitation director just franco movie oh crazy it's dude real opulent and weird and like it, it's you, you might dig it it's it's pretty cool if i can remember the damn title of it I'm actually looking it up now have you ever and, seen oh, sorry about this bronson tangent have you seen violent city Oh yeah, the Salima Sergio Salima movie. That's one I remember. I think Tarantino played maybe at a QT fest or something, and that's how I discovered that one. That one's pretty badass, but has a killer ending, and that yeah. I won't ever spoil. But I want to see. I don't think that has a domestic Blu-ray. I think it's also known as the Family. It looks like. Um, it was. That was a weird one that was released by Anchor Bay. Yes. On DVD, and that's yep. how I saw it. Same. Um, because it's like him, Telly Savalas, and it, yeah, it does have that awesome ending. Uh, the Bronson movie we were talking about before with Anthony Perkins is Someone Behind the Door. Yes. Which makes it sound like a Italian exorcist knockoff. <laughs> <laughs> um, I have one honorable mention I'll throw out if you want it. Sure. Um, it almost made the list, but to be honest, and I'm not trying to downplay this because it's a great blast of a movie and that's invasion usa with chuck norris oh my god this is the best chuck norris movie it, it probably is one of my favorites but here's something and i'm not again i'm not trying to badmouth or anything but i thought it was even more badass than it is and it's it is badass again bringing back richard lynch who by the way has a move in this movie where he shoots people in the dick like yeah, that is his move dick. Yeah, he does it like two, at least two times in the movie. He puts a gun in their pants. It's his like Mortal Kombat finishing move. Totally. He sticks a dick in their pants, a dick in their pants, sticks a gun in their pants and blows their dick off. It's but such isn't, a... isn't Invasion USA also the movie where Chuck Norris is so badass that Richard Lynch has nightmares about him? Yes. He literally gets gotta... up in a cold sweat like thinking about, because it's a Matt, is that one of the Matt Hunter movies? Um... I, that I don't remember. I don't. Uh, let me look. Because that's, that's a, one of the ones where like Norris plays him, and then there's a sequel, or like not a sequel necessarily, but Michael. Oh, it is right. Holy shit. Yeah, Michael Dudikoff plays Matt Hunter in another one called Avenging Force. I oh, I did not connect those two movies. Holy shit, yeah. that's awesome. Both canon films. Uh, Avenging wow. Force not as good as Invasion USA because Invasion USA is like one of the ultimate. If not the ultimate Chuck Norris like right wing politics like nut job showcase. Yes. Just, absolutely. It, it's all about because Lynch like doesn't he lead like a whole commando squad of uh, Russians to like mm -hmm. just randomly execute people in the suburbs? Yeah. Like, there's there's a great bit where he they literally just show up in the suburbs and they like just bazooka a bunch of how they set it up as this like you know, Norman Rockwell is shit where people are like, like this little girl's like, daddy, let me put the tree uh, star on the tree. And he just nukes their house. You know, it's just bizarre. That stuff is great. But like, here's what I'm going to say. And, and, and this is going to be controversial, but the movie's almost front loaded with that shit. And then the ending to me doesn't have quite as much, except when he, he and Richard Lynch have their standoff. It's, it's pretty solid. But yeah. one problem I will say, and this is a minor criticism, but they keep cutting away to this, like, because it's almost like a G.I. Joe, like, R-rated thing, kind of. And they'll cut away to these, like, battle scenes in the streets of, like, Washington, D.C., where these dudes that you don't know are, like, fighting each other. And you're just like, oh, okay, but I don't know these people. So emotionally, you're pulling me out. And then you cut back to Chuck, and I'm like, okay, I'm back in it. And then they cut back out to this, like, wide shot of, like, these people shooting each other and crazy stunts. And I'm like, oh, that's cool, but give me Chuck. I want more Chuck. And it's it keeps coming away from Chuck. And that... I noticed that that bothered me just a little bit this time, but the Lynch of it is great. 
and the shooting the dicks is great. And Chuck's and Chuck's like um, Mac tens that he has on these little holsters under his arms that he can just yeah. kind of swing up. That's fucking badass. So it's great. I mean, it's Joe Zito who did like Friday the 13th four and he did red scorpion, which I also considered for this list. You know, I mean, he's Joe Zito is and the prowler, which is one of my favorite slashers. So yeah. he's a solid kind of nutty director. Um, so it almost made it. It was this close, but I, I totally get why people love this movie as much as they do. And I do too. It's great. I just watched uh, another one that kind of fits well with Invasion USA for the first time. I had never seen Delta Force 2. Oh, two. Oh, two. I haven't seen two. I, you know what? I've seen two, but I haven't seen it in a long time. I just rewatched Delta Force 1 when it showed the new Bev last year for Robert Forster month. Yeah. And I totally forgot how crazy that movie is. Delta Force 1 is crazy. Delta Force 2 must be out of its mind. Well, Delta Force 2 is like late era canon because it's it's interesting because, you know, Chuck Norris, kind of how we were talking about with like Wings Hauser became like PM Entertainment's <laughs> like in-house boy. Like Chuck Norris and his brother Aaron became in-house guys for canon for so long. Uh-huh. Um, and you can almost track like the different stages of canon films uh, through just Norris's career and like work with them. But, like, you have Delta Force, which, I mean, uh, what, Menahem Golan directed, right? I think so, yeah. And then you have – and that movie's totally insane. But then you keep moving along and, like, Delta Force 2, but you have – Invasion USA is, like, one of the ultimate canon movies. Like, it's totally. just it, – and even the stuff that you're talking about is just – it it totally fits with that Golan and Globus ethos of, like, we're just going to throw as much shit – on yep. the screen and not think about how it like affects the story. It's just like, what would be awesome now? Well, it's a siege of Washington, DC, <laughs> the commandos we've never met before. They're going to blow shit up and whatever. And then we'll get back to Chuck Norris. Exactly. You know, as long as people get what they paid for, you know, but then Delta force two, I believe is one of the movies that was made after the cousin split. Oh. to uh globus went and did 20 i always mix it up but did 20th century films after that and then canon uh norris stayed and aaron directed uh delta force 2 and you can totally tell because it's it's a little cheaper feeling but it has this really mean like political streak in it where it's all about like the Colombians and like the drug war. And then they go, they, they go down and literally invade South America themselves <laughs> at point to get revenge for like his partner's family getting murdered. But there's a totally deranged John P. Ryan oh. uh, performance in it where he's literally nuke like, like missling villages. <laughs> oh my God. Like, giving you the thumbs up and you're watching it. You're like, what the fuck am I watching right Holy now? Holy shit. Like, Dude, the- I'm in for any deranged John P. Ryan. Basically, to be honest, just about any John P. Ryan I'll take. Sure. Like I said. So, so the, I got to rewatch Delta Force 2 because I probably saw it on VHS in the 90s and it's gone. Like at my age, it's totally gone. I don't, I don't know if I knew who John P. Ryan was then, so I didn't experience the movie properly. And I need right. to re-experience Delta Force Two ASAP. It's, it's a real good one. That and Invasion USA are like a perfect pairing together because you get Ultimate Chuck Norris, who like, let's face it, had a great career despite being a block of wood. Like, <laughs> Yeah, nuance is not a word that Chuck ever was too familiar with, which is fine. You know, it's okay. But I mean, it's worked for him. Totally. He's still shooting Walker, Texas Ranger. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, no, that was a it was really a blast to do this research. So, again, thank you for, you know, teeing it up for me, because I wouldn't have gone down this path anytime soon if not for this setup, you know. One hundred percent. And thank you again for being on like. And just kind of getting on board with this project because we're having a lot of fun doing these movies and we'd love to have you back to talk, you know, recommendations for more stuff because I'm down, man. I'm absolutely down. It's I just my brain is such at this point now with between pure cinema and just the disc to a degree, um, but definitely pure cinema. It's like it's become I mean, I've always been kind of OCD with movies, but now it's like when Elric and I start talking about a topic 
immediately my brain wants to sketch out the first draft of a list. Like I'm talking about as soon as I get off the phone with him or as soon as he sends me the text, I'm like, Oh, I just got to do, I go to letterbox. I don't know if you use it this way, but we use it this way all the time. You set up a private list and I just start stacking them up and I'm just kind of moving things around. I'm like, yeah, okay. So I'll do my first pass and then I'll watch some things and I'll move some things around. And that's what I did with this. So once I'm given the idea, the OCD part of my brain that wants to pair movies just goes to town. And so I kind of, I kind of love doing it. So I'm totally down to do it again, man. Definitely. Well, we're definitely having you back because (laughs) this was a blast again. Thank you so much. And, uh, have a great day. Keep enjoy, I guess, surviving the pandemic. I was told you keep enjoying the pandemic. (laughs) I'll do my best. You know, the most deranged way to end any kind of phone call. (laughs) it's all good dude no i really again thank you so much for having me it was an honor and a privilege and i really appreciate it man